I want you to take your Bibles today and I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 42 through 47 as we consider the topic of how do we get ready so we don't miss the opportunities that God is giving us during this season in 2022. Down through our history, our 35 years, Fasting and prayer has been, well, it's been transformative. God has used corporate times of fasting and prayer to transform the spirit and the life of this church. In fact, it was in 1995, about nine years after New Life had started, that we did our first 40 days of fasting and prayer. Uh, Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, was challenging people to fast and pray for our country and our nation. We had never done a big fast like that before, but we challenged as many people that could join us for 40 days of fasting and prayer. And it was a hard fast. Uh, It was difficult. Fasting's always hard. It's always difficult. But I remember losing a bunch of weight, and I was tired and kind of cranky and wanting food. One lady told me that she woke up in the middle of the night chewing on her pillow because she was dreaming about hamburgers. And she was chewing on her pillow. But, you know, at the end of that fast, it was that fast that that, that we sensed that God spoke to us about Not just being one church in one location, but to be multiple lights in the city of Chicago. And it was a result of that fast that we started to plant out other locations. So those of you that are meeting in uh, wherever you're meeting right now, it's because of fasting and prayer that you were planted out. That someone was launched out to start that location because we fasted and prayed and felt like God was saying, now is the time to impact the city of Chicago. So as I was thinking about how to prepare ourselves, I was drawn to the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is really the beginning of the church. On the day of Pentecost, 120 people are gathered together in an upper room because Jesus had said, wait until you receive power from on high. And so 120 people were gathered in an upper room And then suddenly they heard this quake and the Spirit of God came upon them for the very first time. And most scholars and theologians will point to the day of Pentecost as the beginning of the church because it was when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers. And from that day on, the church of the living God was birthed with power and they received power from on high to be witnesses to the utmost parts of the earth. It was the beginning of the church, the birth of the church in a prayer meeting when the Holy Spirit came. As a result of that, God started preparing the church. And I'm picking up in in Acts chapter 2 because I realized that from the start of the church, God is preparing the church. He's preparing the church for the opportunities that he had. Not easy time, difficult time, challenging time, persecution. Um, Some people were thrown in jail, but he was preparing them to be witnesses, and to make an impact in the world. And so, in Acts chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 41. It says, 
Those who accepted his message, talking about Peter preaching, were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Today I want you to see four marks of, of people that are ready. or Four marks of ready people. Number one, write this down. Ready people engage in the habits of spiritual formation and rootedness. Notice what happened in the book of Acts. Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit of God has come upon him. There's a boldness now. And as soon as the Spirit of God comes upon him, he wants to preach the gospel. Can I tell you something? The Holy Spirit came not just to empower you to overcome sin. The Holy Spirit has come not only to sanctify you, not only to give you wisdom, not only to open up your mind and eyes, but when the Spirit of God comes upon you, He gives you a boldness to tell others about Jesus. It's the heart of God. So Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and begins to preach to the multitudes who have gathered around. 3,000 people on that day say, I want to follow Jesus. So he takes them down to the river, and 3,000 people, after they accept the message, they get baptized. 3,000 people in one day. Now, that's a lot of baptisms. Imagine that. Uh, here at Midway on New Year's Eve, we baptized seven people. It took us a while. Imagine 3,000 people. I mean, whoever was doing the baptism was coming out with, with uh, pruny hands already because they were baptizing. I think they baptized him by the dozen. Okay, the next dozen come down. Everybody, same time. Let's go. I mean, this was a baptism. 3,000 new believers, fresh converts to Christ, are forming this thing that we call the church. Most of them have very little understanding of the gospel. There's no Bibles like you and I have today because it was before the invention of the Gutenberg printing press. Uh, they have scrolls of the Old Testament, but no one really has them except for some of the rabbis. And so all they have is fellowship, the apostles, the presence of Jesus, and a desire to live for Jesus Christ. So he says... Those that accepted the message were baptized. And by the way, can I tell you this? Listen to what it says. And about 3,000 were added to their number. They were added to the church. Hear me well. You may attend a new life location, but that makes you an attender. You're not really added to the family until you are born into that family. And that means that you're born again of the Spirit of God. You can attend a church all your life and not really be added to the family because you're, the way you're added to the family is when you have an encounter with God and you are born again. And today if you're listen, listening to me and you have attended a church but you've never been born again, then you haven't been added to be born again means that I come to the realization that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He's all God and became all man, and He died on the cross, and there is no access to God the Father except through Jesus Christ the Son. 
And so I repent, I surrender my life, and invite the Spirit of the living God to come inside me and transform me from the inside out and choose to be His follower. That's what it means to become born again. And the moment that you are born again, something dynamic transforms you from the inside out, and one of the very first steps you take as a believer is the public step of believer's baptism. That's a sign to the world that you are saying, my old self is gone and my new self has come. If you're a Christian today and you've given your life to Christ and have never been baptized, I would urge you and challenge you to go public with your faith and be baptized in the name of Jesus the Christ like the early church did. And then it says they did four things. Notice the text. Verse 42. They devoted themselves. That's an interesting word. They devoted themselves. Now, what does it mean to devote? Well, if you look up that word in the Greek, by the way, the New Testament is written in classic Greek. The word devoted in the Greek means to be strong towards, to endure in, to persevere in. It means, listen, to adhere to, to persist, to continue to do something with intense effort. Let me say that again. Listen. To continue to do something with intense effort. That's what it means to be devoted. The early church, as soon as they became believers, they did four things with intense effort. These are four foundational formation rootedness habits that every believer needs to embrace and engage in. And if we're going to be ready for what God has for us, then you need to make these a part of your daily practices. Listen to me. If you're listening from home or one of the campuses, north side, south side, Indiana, I want you to hear me well. Four practices you need to be engaging in as a believer of Jesus the Christ. Number one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Number two, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Number three, they devoted themselves to breaking of bread. And number four, they devoted themselves to prayer. Let me just summarize what this means. I can't get into a long teaching on this, but let me just summarize it. The apostles' teaching. If you are a believer of Jesus... You need to devote yourself intensely to understanding and grasping truth that is found in the Word of God. You cannot be a full-fledged follower of Jesus unless you are fully devoted to understanding His Word. You need to be a reader of His Word, a meditator of His Word, a student of the Word of God, devoted to the apostles' teaching. You say, well, why does it say the apostles' teaching and not Scripture? Well, because Scripture in the Old Testament was in scrolls, as I said. The New Testament had not been written yet, and so these believers, all they had was the teaching of the apostles. Later on, we would get the, the letters of the New Testament, and so now... There is no excuse for anybody here not to have a Bible and study the Bible. Uh, Back in this day, they did not have Bibles. The Bible was being written by the apostles, but they had the apostles' teaching. 
Nowadays, you have all kinds of Bibles, don't we? We have the large letter edition, the small letter edition, the pocket edition. We have the slim Bible, the fat Bible. We have the King James Version, the new King James Version, the NIV, the NASB. We have the big letter. We have the red letter edition. We have the online edition. We have the Bible for men, the Bible for women. We have all kinds of Bibles. There is no excuse for anybody in America Now, there are places around the world where the Bible is still being translated into their language, but there is no excuse for anybody that lives in this country to not be devoted to the Word of God because you have access to the Word of God. You say, well, Pastor, that's why I come on Sunday and I hear you preach. That's good. That's one meal a week. Come on, I'm talking to someone here. That's one meal a week. And if you're okay with eating once a week, then, then okay. But if you need to eat more than once a week, let me tell you, I challenge you, I challenge you, I exhort you, get into the Bible every day. Open your Bible, read a passage, read a chapter. You say, well, where do I start? Start with the Gospel of John. Start asking yourself, God, what are you saying to me and what do I need to do about it? We need to be students of the Word, rightly dividing the Word of God. Because if you don't know the Word, then the culture around you will dictate your beliefs. And sometimes the Bible is countercultural. Hello. Secondly, they were devoted to fellowship. Intensely committed to fellowship. The word there is koinonia. It has the idea of association, communion, fellowship, participation. It means that they shared something together. It means that they did life together. Can I challenge you to this? Listen, you need to be devoted to the Word, but you can't just do the Word at home by yourself in front of your television or with the radio on or the commentary. You need to be a part of koinonia, fellowship, intense fellowship with other believers around you. You say, well, pastor, I come to church. Yeah, you come to church and you sit in the back row and you leave. If you don't know people by their name, if people don't know you, if they can't pray with you, if you're not gathering together, if people aren't saying, hey, come on, come on over, if you don't know their kids' names and their marriage and where they work and how they're doing, then you're not in fellowship. You need to be connected to people that know you and you know them. You're bearing each other's burdens, challenging each other, encouraging one another, building community together, not attending a service on Sunday morning. We are a family, not an event. Hello. Somewhere you're going, "Mm, okay. What am I telling you? I'm telling you, you need to get to know some people. You need to get involved. You need to connect with people because they were devoted to the Word, but they were devoted to koinonia as well. Uh, Number three, they were devoted to breaking of bread. Some of you are saying, now you're talking, Pastor. I like to eat. So now, were they devoted to eating? You say, I'm devoted to that, Pastor. Well, breaking of bread, most scholars believe that this is not referring to simply a meal because there's a preposition used, and it's the breaking of bread, which means that most scholars and theologians believe that this is referring to communion. The early church, when they celebrated communion, 
they celebrated it in what they called a love meal. In other words, they would eat a meal together, and then as part of that meal, they would break the bread and drink wine as a symbol of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, and they would do this often because they would be reminded that the reason that we can come together, the reason that we're forgiven, the reason that we're a people is that Jesus died on the cross. His body was born through a virgin, incarnation, the bread, and then his blood was shed on the cross, symbolized by the wine. And so they would take of the bread and they would drink of the wine to remember the work of Jesus. So when it's referring to the breaking of bread, in essence what it's saying is that we need to remember that what draws us together is not a denomination. What draws us together is not that we live in the same part of the city. What makes us a family is not our ethnicity or lack thereof. What makes us a family is the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary that's redeemed us, bought us, and made us into a family interconnected with one another. You are a part of the family of God. And so we need to continually be reminded that this is about the gospel of Jesus. And then number four, there are, number one, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Number two, they were de devoted to fellowship. Number three, they were devoted to communion, to the breaking of bread. And number four, they were devoted to prayer. All you have to do is read the book of Acts. And you will realize that when it says prayer, it's not referring to quoting a prayer or praying a prayer. It's talking about an intensity, a power, a commitment, a God moves mountains through prayer. I grew up in Spain in a small town in northern Spain called Rubena. I went to a one-room schoolhouse and there were 30 children and they happened to pray the Our Father and the, and the Hail Mary before class every day. And these little kids would get up, and if it was their turn, they would say something like this in Spanish. Padre nuestro que estás en los cielos, santificado sea tu nombre, venga a nosotros tu reino, hago su tu voluntad, así en la tierra como en los cielos, el pan nuestro de cada día. And they would quote it real fast, almost like you say the Pledge of Allegiance but you barely know what you're saying. You just memorize the ritual of some words. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When it says, listen, when it says they were devoted to prayer, it's not saying they were devoted to saying a prayer. It means they were devoted to prayer in a way that's intense, powerful, corporate, separate, in their closet, on their own, praying when they're in trouble, praying when they need a miracle, praying when they're seeking after God. In other words, then when they came together, look at the book of Acts, and they're always in a prayer meeting. They're always calling upon God. They're always calling out to God. There's intensity, passion, and the presence of God as they pray. They are a praying people, and so are we called to be a praying people as well. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times, at all times, yes, at all times, in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petitions for all the saints. Now, that's why we are challenging 
Again, everybody, as I said earlier, to join us January the 9th, starting fasting, 21 days of fasting and prayer. Why? Because we're elevating the intensity of our seeking after God. Number two, not only do we prepare ourselves by engaging in the habits of spiritual formation and rootedness, but number two, ready people embrace an atmosphere of faith and spiritual expectation. Notice what it tells us in verse 43. Everyone who? Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So not only were they committed to the habits of spiritual formation and rootedness to be ready, but they also came together and lived with this atmosphere of faith and spiritual expectation that God was among them and that God could do anything, anywhere, at any time. In fact, it tells us the word used here is everyone was filled with awe. The word in the Greek is phobos, where we get the word phobia from, which is, means fear. Everyone was filled with this awesome fear as they approached God. There was a reverence because they saw that God was real and powerful and moving. This is not a fear in a terrified, negative way, but a fear in a respectful, awe-inspired way. It wasn't this casual Christianity. It was a sense that God is here. And he's powerful. Come before him with respect. Bow before him when you need to. He's the God that searches our hearts and knows if there's something that needs to be dealt with. He's a God that, God that can uh, raise the dead, but he can also strike people to death as well. He's an awesome, powerful God in which there is nothing limited in this world to his hand. So when we come together, we come together with a sense of faith, believing God for extraordinary things, not just gathering together in some ritualistic way to study the Word, which is important, but with this sense that God is here present. It says that everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll realize that people were raised from the dead, that the lame were healed, the blind saw uh, that God did miracles, uh, demon-possessed were liberated and set free, that God was at work. And here's what I want you to know. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God still does miracles. God is still unlimited in power. God can still heal. God can still change lives. God can still take the broken and mend them. God can still take that which seems impossible to the world and make it possible. So when we come together, we come together with the sense of faith and expectation that God is at work and that nothing is too difficult for God. Over the years, New Life Community Church, we have seen thousands of people come to Jesus and be baptized. And some of those people are people that would say, I would never imagine myself in a church. 
But it was the power of the living God that drew them, that broke them, that changed their lives. We're a church full of miracles. There are walking billboards and miracles all over this place. And I believe that's part of the reason why so many people have come to Christ. Not always just because of preaching and fidelity to the word. We try to do that with the gospel. But I think what attracts people the most is that they know a relative or a family member that's had a radical conversion and a transformation. And they say, I I don't know what happened to him. I knew who he was before. And believe me, he's changed. How did that happen? Jesus. So I'm challenging you as we prepare ourselves, even in fasting and prayer, that you would ask, God, raise my expectation level. I want to come before you with great expectation of you moving and working. I want to believe not only that you are a God that's left us here on earth with the Word, but you are the God in the Word, of the Word, and here present in powerful ways. An expectation that people had. Number three, not only are ready people, people that engage in the habits of spiritual formation, they're people that embrace an atmosphere of faith and spiritual expectation, but number three, ready people Promote a culture of generosity and overflowing benevolence. Verse 44 tells us this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. What it tells us is that there was an overflowing, generous spirit in the early church. There was a sense that All that I am, all that I have belongs to God. And so we are a people of generosity and we we meet the needs of people that are around us because we may have needs, but we refuse to be needy. Now, just to give a little historical context here, the people had come together on Pentecost. Pentecost was a Jewish holiday, one of their biggest Jewish holidays, and, P- and Jews that were scattered all around different countries and different regions, they came to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. Scholars tell us that Jerusalem typically had a population of about 100,000 people. But when Pentecost came, that crowd would swell to sometimes 600, 700. Estimates of even 900,000 people would convey on Jerusalem. So relatives would be taking friends and families into their household. They would pitch tents on the outskirts of the town, and people would come to celebrate this massive holiday. People who were raised in other countries would come. They were still Jewish, but they would speak other languages, and they would come together. Well, that's when the Holy Spirit came and descended upon the believers gathered in the upper room, and 3,000 believers, many of whom were not from Jerusalem, came to know the Lord. So now suddenly you have 3,000 people, brand new believers, that are saying, we want to grow. We can't go home because our home doesn't have a church. Who's going to teach us? So we're going to stay in Jerusalem and grow and learn and be grounded. 
Will that force believers to open up their homes and say, I have an extra bed here. I have a table. Hey, my garage is open. Come on in. Hey, we can gather some other people. So suddenly, all these 3,000 people that stayed in Jerusalem, people were having to add people to their table. Some people were selling their property and saying, here, let's help feed all these people that are, that are here. There was a spirit of overflowing generosity. Can I tell you something about that? I believe that that's the spirit of Jesus. That we, the church of the living God, we we are called to see the needs of people around us and to help meet those needs. In fact, I believe that when there's broken, God has called us to mending. When there's Sick, God has called us to healing. When there's poor, God has called us to step and meet some of those needs. In other words, we are a people that don't walk away from the needs. We step into the needs in the name of Jesus and saying, Jesus is a giver. And here we are in the name of Jesus helping to meet the needs of the community and people around us. By the way, can I say that? That I believe that's been the history of the church down through the centuries. It's the ethos and spirit that we embrace during this pandemic. Most of you have heard about this and many of you have participated in this. But at the beginning of this pandemic, there was in some of the neighborhoods that we meet in, there was a huge need for food. A lot of families were food deprived. A lot of people lost their jobs. And so the church came together to say, how can we help meet these needs? And we made a partnership with the Chicago Food Depository, and we became the distributors of food. Even to this day, we're continuing to distribute the food, and we have helped feed 2 million people, 2 million people during this pandemic. Why? We're not a food distribution place, but we are the people of God. What does that mean? We're not set up to distribute food, but we are the people of God. We don't have to be set up. We roll up our sleeves and we do something about people that are in need. We help the homeless. We reach out to people that are broken. We help people overcome addiction when they're overcome with that. We help marriages be restored that need to be restored. That's part of who we are. Why? Because God has called us to be generous and minister to the least of the least and the people that are hurting. That's why New Life Community Church has not always gone to the easiest neighborhoods. We stepped into some neighborhoods that people were running out of. Some of you may not know this, but this church was started in back of the yards neighborhood on 44th and Polina. At that time, it was a neighborhood that people were leaving. There was gangs. There was drug dealing. In fact, the little church where this church started on the corner of 44th and Polina, there were drug dealers that did a lot of their drug operation right on the corner of the church. I'll never forget, only shortly after I started to pastor, I was 21 years old. The drug dealers were doing a big business there. And I was so frustrated because they kept selling drugs in the church corner. And I'll never forget I approached a couple of the leaders there that were there one day. And they said, hey, pastor. I said, hi. 
I said, can I say, I know what you're doing on this corner? It kind of looked like. I said, this, listen, see this? This is a church. We're trying to help people come to God. You're selling drugs. I know where you hide your weapons because I've seen you put over that stump right there. You put your revolvers under there. Listen, I'm not going to the police telling them about you, but here's what I want you to know. Let's just say this is God's corner, okay? You could sell on that corner, that corner, that corner, but not this corner. This is God's corner. I'm not going to tell people, I'm not going to tell the police about your revolver, but I don't want you selling drugs on our corner. Got it? Okay, Pastor. I got got it, got it. So they went to other corners. Now, I want to say some of those people came to Christ, but what I love about the birth of this church is this church was birthed poor, small, in a tough neighborhood, in a place where people were saying, you're not going to survive, you're not going to make it, but we saw God do incredible, miraculous things in a very difficult neighborhood because there's a powerful God at work in a place that people despise, that think is nothing. We were small, we were poor, we didn't have much, but we prayed an audacious prayer. We said, God, use us to touch this city, and by God's grace, he's doing that even now. Praise God for that. Lastly, ready people cultivate a strong, vibrant community that attracts people to their life and love. Verse 46, and every day, talking about the church, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here's what I want you to see. The Bible tells us this, that this people, filled with the Spirit of God, gathered together in large gatherings, they gathered together in their homes, they worshiped, they praised There was a joy about them, it says, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. Listen, and the Lord added to their number daily. You know what it's telling us? These people loved God in such a way that people around them started saying, I don't know how you have that joy. There's something about the love that you have. I want to be a part of that. I'm attracted to this community that's full of hope and joy and gladness and the power of God. And so people from all different walks of life started being drawn. And the Bible says people were added daily. Daily there were people that were attracted to the power of the love of God. And here's what I want you to know. I want you to hear me very well. Jesus said, look at me, those of you that are in your living room, those of you that are in Indiana, north side, south side, listen up here because this is really important. John chapter 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Listen, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Can I tell you something? 
the way this world will be touched by the gospel of Jesus is not just because we have the right theology and orthodoxy, but when people encounter the love of God and the love of his people, it's a compelling, powerful force that draws people to the presence of God. I believe that the ethos, the value that God is calling us to have is a people that loves. That means that, that, means that we reach out to people that other, others are rejecting. That means that people find healing and hope in a community of faith because what characterizes us is this compelling, powerful, passionate love for God and love for people as well. There's something powerful about it. In fact, that, that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by your love. Show me a church that doesn't have love and I'll show you a church that's void of the Spirit of God because God is love. And when God is present, there is a powerful, compelling, compassionate sense of His presence and people that love other people and care about other people. It's a, it's a powerful force of attraction when there's a community that actually, not a perfect community, not a community without flaws, but a community that genuinely loves God and loves people. I have to say that, you know, that's one of the hardest things. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about what it means to love. For years I've been doing this. At the beginning of my day I make a to-do list. But because I, want, because I tend to be task-oriented, I put a couple numbers at the top of my list the first number I put is 13. Because 13 reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want to remind myself every day that I could accomplish a lot, but if I have no love for God and for people, that whatever I do is worth nothing. I pray on a regular basis, Lord, baptize me with a fresh love for people. Never let my heart get calloused or hard or indifferent to people, God. Make my heart... Be, have, be tender towards others that are hurting. I want to have the heart of Jesus. And I believe that we as a church need to pray that God baptizes us with a fresh love for others that need God so desperately. Let us not become calloused or hard, God. When people walk through these doors, may they experience a powerful presence of the living God who loves them, but the affection and the embrace of the people of God who also care about their lives as well. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, A city on a hill cannot be ignored. Let, they, let them see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 